Good morning, good morning. Glad to see everyone here today as we join together and worship our Lord and Savior. Please find your way in God's Word to Romans chapter 2. All of mankind has inherited the sin of Adam. All of mankind needs to be saved from the penalty of sin. And for the ones who understand that truth, the scriptures have become so, so precious. Amen. Amen. Jesus has created the new covenant of people through the covenant, uh, a new covenant of people from uh, of Abraham through the death, resurrection, and the sending of the Spirit. And that's what we will see in this, uh, in this letter. We are walking through the letter that Paul the man formerly known as Saul had written to the church in Rome and to the church in Youngsville, North Carolina today. Paul was a Jewish rabbi. He belonged to the group known as Pharisees. He was uh, very passionate about the Torah and the, of Moses and the traditions of Israel. Saul was top of his class when it came to these things. Saul had a life-changing experience, to say the least, on the road to Damascus. Saul was on his way to kill more people who were followers of Jesus. That is what he planned to do, but God had greater plans for Saul. Instead of killing more followers of Jesus, Saul had an encounter with the risen Jesus. Paul was then commissioned by God to take the good news about the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the world. And so Paul began going around, sharing the gospel, and establishing what we now know as churches. Now, the church in Rome was one of the oldest churches at this time, and it was made up of Jew and Gentile believers. And this church was not a mega church like, like some would think or imagine, you know, being in a city that big, you know, that would be this big mega church. But it was a small church. They, they were still meeting in homes. They hadn't done a building campaign yet. At, at one point, the church in Rome had a, had a forced split. The, the emperor of Rome expelled all of the Jewish people from Rome. And then about five years later, all of the Jews were allowed to return, even the, the Jesus following Jews. Now when the Jewish believers returned to Rome, they found a church that let's say was not very Jewish, not very Jewish at all. And for good reasons, because the Gentiles had been running the church for five years on their own. So you can imagine the problems that this church was having. There were, there were no there was no unity. They were divided in all areas. They disagreed on how to follow Jesus. They debated if, if Christians should celebrate the Sabbath or if, they could, uh, or if they should be circumcised or if they had to keep the dietary laws. They, they had a lot going on. So Paul wrote this letter to the church. He wanted them to be unified like he wanted us to be unified. And that's why Paul gives us, as I like to say, the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Paul in this letter gives a full explanation about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so this letter he wrote is basically broken down in four sections. In chapters 1 through 4, we see the gospel, that the gospel, this gospel, reveals God's righteousness. In chapters 5 through 8, we'll see how through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God creates a new humanity which fulfills his promise to Israel. And we will see that in, as we study chapters 9 through 11. And the result is this gospel, this gospel of Jesus Christ, will unify the church in chapters 12 through 16. 
We're still in the first section here. Paul has proclaimed that the risen Jesus is king of the nations, and it is through Jesus we see God's power to save people. We have seen that God's righteousness has been revealed. Now, this righteousness is not only not only describes God's character, we know he will always do what is right and just, but, but also the righteousness of God is this, that God is faithful and just to fulfill his promises. In his faithfulness to fulfill his promises, to, in, in, it is his faithfulness to fulfill his promises that brings out the richness of this letter. God is just and right, and he has indeed fulfilled the promises he has made, amen? We saw in chapter one how Paul took us back to the beginning and he showed us how all of the Gentile world, all of the nations were trapped in sin. Humanity has turned away from God. Humanity has turned to idolatry. Mankind chose not to know, serve, love, and worship God. Instead chose to what? Worship idols. And as we went down the list of sins, we saw just how far the human race has descended from what God, what God had created him, them to be. And so the consequence of sin is this. Humanity stands before God guilty as charged. As man stands before a just and righteous God, all are guilty, all means all, mankind is messed up and needs fixing. Now last week we began in chapter two. And after Paul shows the downfall and the, and, and the condition of humanity, he begins to address the, quote, pretty good guy or the self-righteous judger. The one who believes that he's not part of the all that we saw in chapter one. The one who compares his actions to others, not to God's standard. You know, mankind very good at seeing sin in others. We can point out someone's sin, man, just like that right there. We're good at that. That's something that fallen man has become very good at. And Jesus spoke about this, you know. If you remember getting that speck out of, you know, your neighbor's eye while you've got this huge log in your eye. You know, it's kind of what Paul's dealing with right here. Paul, Paul has explained how all have sinned, right? He has shown how mankind has rejected God. And now he, he turns his attention to the, to the log eye people, I call them. They are, they are the ones who can, who, who can see how others have sinned, but doubt that their sin is so bad that it puts them in the same boat as those evil people. And so he turns his focus to, to the ones who believe they're not part of the problem or not as bad as the others. He, he wants them to understand, listen, you are under the same judgment of God. Just like everyone else, you are also part of fallen humanity. And so as we go into this chapter two, I believe that, that Paul is turning his focus, he's actually turning his focus to the Jews. He, he's warning them not to assume that their national identity was sufficient to provide them a right standing before God. And this becomes very obvious as we reach verse seven. We're not like them, they would say. We have special rights. Let's start chapter two, verse one. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. 
Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or you, do you presume on the, on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Because of your hard and, and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Pretty simple answer to their argument there. He's like, you judge. When you judge others, you condemn yourself. Why? Because you do the same thing. By judging others, you are proclaiming that you have knowledge of what, what is right and what is wrong. Now, if you know what you're doing is wrong, then Paul says, do you really believe that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you really believe that? Paul has used the word judgment seven times so far. You think he's trying to get a point across here? Listen, Paul says, the, the ones you are judging are under judgment for what they are doing. You are doing the same thing, so you will not escape the judgment of God. You are no better than the other people that you judge. We are all in the same boat. All means all. And that's the point that Paul is trying to make. The very fact that one can see sins in others leaves him with no excuse before God. Something to make note of here. Chapter 1, we see all of humanity is under God's judgment, all nations, because they have turned away from God. Chapter 2, the moral man, he, he thinks he's good enough to find favor with God, that his position, you know, finds favor with God. The problem here is that neither one has submitted to God. Neither one has agreed with God when God said, said you have sinned, against me no one wants to admit that that statement is true one says there's no god the other believes he will not be judged by god but both are lies now think about the division in the church in rome the, the reason the church cannot unify is because no one is submitting to god and everyone is judging everyone else there's absolutely no way for unity for the sake of the gospel can happen in these conditions. This goes right along with the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your, love your neighbors as yourself. The Jews who had returned to Rome were judging the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were judging the Jews because they were trying to bring back in the law. So they're just, they're just bumping, bumping the whole time. But listen, when it comes to judging, Jesus warned about condemning others. Condemning others. You know, this is the type of judging that's going on here. The same judging that Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. You know, th this kind of judging that Jesus referred to and what Paul is pointing out is not, listen, is not the appraisal of character based on conduct. That's not what's going on here. This judging is a hypocritical and self-righteous condemnation of the other person. Evaluation is not the same as condemnation. Condemning judgment should never happen in the church. We are not God. Our judgment is tainted by sin. How are we able to judge one's salvation if we are fallen ourselves? As much as we think we can make that call, we can't. 
Look down at verse four, Paul says this. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience and not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Paul's second rhetorical question here. Do you think that you are not under judgment for your sins because God has not taken you out? Well, you better get your thinker fixed. Paul's saying, if that's what you believe, let me give you the truth so you can correct your thinking. You see, when you're judging others, you are actually showing contempt for God's kindness and patience. When you, when you judge others, not only are you questioning God's love and patience, but you are making yourself God. Maybe you've heard this. I have. I've heard the judges say, you see what he's doing? I don't even know if he's saved. They're right on the second statement. I just don't know why God has not punished or taken that sinner out. If I were God, let me tell you what I would do. That's the judger. We're not God. So, so do you see how judging other salvation is actually contempt for God's loving kindness? We, we have to see that God is tolerant, is tolerant and patient as he bears out in gratitude and sin. Listen, God has every right to take every one of us out at any moment because of our sin. We all should be amazed that he even allows us to take another breath. Amen? But God postpones punishment in order that his kindness will lead people to repentance. God's kind, kindness, patience, leads people to repentance. I'm glad he was patient with me. See, people believe that God's going around seeking who he can send to eternal damnation. He's going around just striking people out. That's not true. Everyone's already qualified for that. God is actually revealing his love through his kindness and patience, desiring people to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. That's God's desire. All should come to repentance. All means all. All needs to repent, to turn from their sins and turn to God. So never discount what God is doing just because he does not judge on your timetable. Amen? Another point. Do not confuse God's patience and kindness as a nod to you as what you're doing is okay. In other words, just because God did not enact punishment immediately does not mean that what you're doing is right. One commentator said this, it is easy to make God's patience for approval of wrong living. It is easy to mistake God's patience for approval of wrong living. Self-evaluation is difficult, and it, even, and it is even more difficult for us to expose our conduct to God and let him point out where we need to change. But as Christians, we must pray constantly that God will show us our sins so that he can remove them and heal us. Unfortunately, we are more likely to be amazed at God's patience with others than humbled at his patience with us. Unfortunately, 
humanity is more likely to be amazed at God's patience with others than humbled at his patience with us. You hear me say it all the time. Self-examination is always the best way to walk with God. Self-examination. We should be in a continuous state of gratefulness to our God because we know that he has withheld his punishment. Amen? Don't, do not be a hypocritical judge by condemning others. We, we do not know how God is working in other people's lives. So back to our text. Paul is concerned about the Jews. They, they are very proud and overconfident in their special status with God. They, they are unwilling to repent of sin. And through their unwillingness to repent, they are showing contempt for God's blessing. Verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So here's the answer to the question. Do you think you will escape God's judgment? Absolutely not. You judge others, you have hardened your heart, and you do not repent of your sin, all because you believe you would get a pass because you are, quote, a descendant of Abraham. Not so, says Paul. Just because you do not see God's judgment immediately, as we have seen, does not mean that God is giving you a pass because of who you are. It does not mean that what you are doing is okay either. Know this, Paul says, with your judging and hardened heart, you are actually storing up wrath for yourself. The day is coming when you will have to answer for all of your works, he's saying. There is a final day of judgment coming and everything will be laid bare. The hardened heart will be uncovered. The unrepentant heart will be unveiled because on that day, God's righteous judgment will be revealed to all. This text reminds me of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. That's what the Pharisee said with a hardened and unrepented heart. Now listen to the tax collector. Let's call him a sinner. He knows his standing before a holy God. Verse 13 says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And this kind of sums up what's going on in our text here. We have a prideful, hardened heart who believes he is right, has a right standing of God because of who he is and his self-righteous works. The judger says, I'm good with God. He knows me. And the whole time not understanding that he is storing up wrath on himself. Listen, we do not know the date 
or the day of wrath, of God's wrath. But we do know that no one will escape the final encounter with our creator. And we are all called to live like knowing that this date is coming. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So we do not know when, but we do know it's coming. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to, have, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So there is, a, 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 there is coming a judgment for all. And that all means all. Look down at verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. All means all. He will render, he will render to each one. Each one means everyone. Tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil or glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. That covers everyone. Now in verse six and seven, it's, it, there are interesting couple of verses and many skip over these verses. You know, when he says he will render to each one according to his works, they skip this because it kind of sounds like a work one's uh, salvation is based on works. So they don't want to address this. Now we know that salvation is not based on works, but I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter two for me. Turn over to Ephesians chapter two, go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians. <laughs> We all know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We hear it all the time. For by grace you are, have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is a gift, not a result of works, so no one may boast. We, we know that. We hear that. Salvation is not of works. So let's read, let's read the verses 1 through 10, and I believe we'll get a better understanding of Paul's writing here in Romans. Verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. That sounds a lot like chapter one, doesn't it, of Romans? Continue, verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us 
in Christ Jesus. So this is the new, huma new humani humanity that God has created. And we will see this roll out as we continue in our study of Romans. But let's go verse, verse 8, the familiar one. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. That goes right along with Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Same gospel. Verse 9. Not a result of works, so no one may boast. No, no works when it comes to salvation. But watch verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, go back to Romans 6. He will, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. God will judge all men according to their deeds. No one is exempt from this judgment. And you, this is a truth that is taught from the beginning to the end of the scriptures. And this is very important to know as believers, for the, for the ones who put their trust in the Lord, we need to get this down because it matters. It matters how, what we do and how we act on this earth. But listen, follow me here. Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Listen to the deeds. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap the flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of what? Doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Right? So, so doing good deeds is a continuous action. We, we continue to do these deeds as we walk on this earth all the way to the point until we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us. That means all will give an account to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now listen to Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. 
and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So scripture clearly teaches that God will judge men or judge man on the basis of their deeds. He will not judge us on what church we belong to. He will not judge the Jew based on their Abrahamic heritage. He will not judge man on who his parents are. He will, it will not be based on what, how religious he is. What God will judge every person on is this. Does his or her life manifest obedience to God? One may ask, what, what does that look like? How does my life manifest obedience to God? Well, it's a life that knows God, serves God, loves God, and worships God. It's a life that loves the Lord God Almighty with all his mind, soul, and strength, and then loves their neighbor as much as he loves himself. Nobody loves Rob Barton like Rob Barton loves Rob Barton. I'll tell you that. So think about that standard. That's a pretty high calling to go love somebody else as much as you love yourself. I don't have to give you a list of good deeds. This kind of goes with what Chris said earlier. I don't have to give you a list of good deeds for you to do to show that you're a believer. These deeds will come about naturally if we love God and we love our neighbor. The good works will come out naturally. You'll see it in, happening in your life, loving others. When you see a need, you're there for them. If you see people that can't get their groceries in the cart, you step right up, man, and you help them. There's little things, little things that just start growing in your life to do more. You're letting your light shine. We, we, what did we read in Ephesians? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, listen which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see that? Ephesians simply informs us about the proper sequence for, for doing good as a response to God's grace rather than a way of gaining God's grace. This is how we respond to his grace. The good works are, are what happens when the Spirit of God goes to work in our hearts. The good works are there. Just start walking in them. We should walk in them, God says. Real faith generates good works in a believer's life. God has already put those works out there before us. It's, us, it's up to us to walk in them. Amen? Look down at verse 7. For those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Persistence is a characteristic of, of the growing and progressing that happens in our Christian walk. We must persist in doing good and in believing in Christ, not growing weary. I, I like to call it progressive sanctification. We seek to glorify God in all we do, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And, and if we do that, if we do what we say up here, you know, glorify the name of Jesus, magnify the name of Jesus, model Christ with our lives, 
if we do that, if that's our heart's desire, we will become more like Christ each and every day, and our light gets brighter and brighter and brighter, growing and progressing. Philippians 2.12 should come to light now. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Does that not make sense now? We are all called to work out our salvation. Some teach that if you believe in Christ, you, know, you, put, you, know, you put your trust in Jesus, say a little prayer, you're saved, that's it. Sit back on the sofa, you got your fire insurance, don't worry about it, live like you want. Well, as we can see in the Holy Scriptures, accepting Christ as your Savior is just the beginning. Amen? It's just the beginning. When salvation comes, old things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So becoming a new creation is just the beginning of a lifelong walk. I heard a man say one time, no change, no Jesus. It matters how we live. It really matters. In our text today, Paul was not teaching how we are made right with God, but how God judges the reality of our faith. Faith is not an abstract quality that can be validated by some spiritual test unrelated, of life, unrelated to life. God judges faith by the difference it makes in how a person actually lives. And all, all will have to stand before God and give an account. God's judgment will be impartial. And it will be according to what people have done. Everyone will be held accountable for the truth that was available to them and what they did with it. And that's why we do not give up on meeting together. It is through the church that we hold each other accountable. We come alongside one another. We get to know each other. And we spur one another on towards what? Love and good deeds. We don't judge. We love. Now, it's easy to get confused on not judging, yet hold another one accountable. You know, how does that work? Remember what I said earlier about judging. I said evaluation is not the same as condemnation. You see, we're not qualified to judge someone's salvation. If they know the gospel and claim to be a child of God, then we have to take them for their word. Because only God knows the heart, not us. Watch this. Let me, let, let me give you an example here. If you were to only know King David during his time of self-indulgence, adultery, and murder, and if you were a condemning judger, you might say, hey, that guy doesn't know Jesus. But on the other hand, if you only knew Judas as the guy who was the, one of the 12 disciples who was there every time Jesus spoke, you might say, hey, that guy knows Jesus. You see, we do not condemn or judge salvation. We're not qualified. 
What we do as brothers and sisters in Christ is that we evaluate deeds. Just like Nathan did with King David. Remember that story? David did all that wrong. Nathan comes and confronts him and he says, hey, David, you are the man. That's you. You're the one that did wrong. And David falls and cries out to God, I have sinned, and he repents. Brothers call out another brother's behavior in love. Say, hey, man, what you're doing doesn't line up with the word. What you're doing doesn't line up with scripture. What you're doing doesn't line up with what you, who you claim to be. And the brother repents, restored, and God's glorified. That's how it works. That's why the church is so important. We evaluate, we love one another, and we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So I return to a self-examination. Your salvation is between you and God. That's the first step. Am I a child of God? Am I of the kingdom of God? If so, then that self-examination then goes to ask yourself this. Is there a desire to glorify God in all that I do? We are to examine our hearts daily and see how we're doing. Only God knows the heart. So make sure today that you are right with God. If not, you want to talk about it, we'll stay. We're going to talk. But make sure that you're on the right track when it comes to good deeds, that you're not just checking boxes. Because as we can see, all means all. All will have to give an account of what we have done with what God has given us. Our text says this, God will not play favorites with anyone when it comes to judgment. He is impartial. He is fair. So know this, on judgment day, no one, not one, will walk away from God and say, that is not fair. Our lives will be an open book before God. And no matter what God hands down, no one will say, that's not fair. So search your hearts today. Amen. Brother?